HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Why is Heritage Radio Network important to you? HRN is very nostalgic to go into because it's really the only place that you have this really warm, homey experience to watch people get together and talk about the things that really make a difference. It's really fun when I ask guests, do you want to be on Heritage? And they're like, Roberta's? Yes, 100%. I believe that we all are really trying to bring people together. I think... Getting more people excited about good, local, well-crafted food and away from big ag and tasteless commodity food is so important. It's kind of an honor to be sitting there with so many, in a space where so many other people have sat. Join HRN's vibrant community of thoughtful eaters. Become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni, and today is December 17th, 2019. This is our special holiday episode. It's our last episode of 2019. It's been a great year, and, and uh, the way I wanted to close it out has worked out perfectly. Um, our buddies from Beer Table, the great place in Grand Central uh, Station, NYC, to me, they're the experts. I believe that um, a very busy bottle shop that is probably one of the most selective buyers of, of craft beer in the city, uh, probably has more experience with the kind of things we want to talk about on, on the air. So I'm going to raise a glass to um, the beer table experts, and they're going to introduce themselves, and then we're going to talk a little more about what this episode's about. Hey, I'm Gavin. I'm the manager and primary buyer at Beer Table. Hey, I'm Noah. I'm also a manager and, I guess, a secondary buyer at Beer Table. I'm Justin. I'm the founder and owner of Beer Table. I'm Evan. I'm a silent partner and friend of Beer Tables. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've had a couple of great shows with you guys. Uh, last year, you, you came in around this time and surprised me with uh, six different smoke beers. And then you guys went to the old Jimmy's number 43 cellar, and we, and we found a bunch of lost bottles that, that we did another show. So this, to me, is one of my favorite uh, group of guests. And I like to say this year I put out, um, you know, there was a film out, and there's always that old slogan uh budweiser's the king of beers and i always thought to me the king of beer is triples belgian triples because for me that that was a beer that i when i drank it i felt like a king and i could drink those beers all night and it probably got me into a lot of trouble (laughs) many years ago but 
Um, I suggested to Gavin and Noah, I said, guys, let's do a show just about triples. And they came back and said, well, Jimmy, <laughs> so they're going to surprise me with uh, some styles, but I think we decided to do Abbey Ales. So we're going to taste through a lot of beers today, uh, showcases their expertise and the types of beers that go through uh, beer table as well. So Gavin, you want us to take it, take it away? Yeah, sure. So we're starting off today with uh, probably the first uh, Trappist-style ale that I've ever, I ever had, uh, the Chimay Red. Um, really great double ale. Um, just always reminds me of, you know, get, just starting to get into the beer and finding those, like, box sets with the glasses, you know, at the end cap of the grocery store. Kind of a nostalgic beer. That, it, it's that for me, too. I mean, Chimay, you know, talking about origins of craft beer, the roots. To me, it was like back in the 90s, you know, when some of the, like, Union Beer was just starting to sell craft beer. Chimay was something that always jumped out to me. And whether it was the double, the red, or the, or the triple, the white, or the quadruple, the blue... That was the kind of beer, to me, that was beer. I, I wasn't really like an American beer drinker before. Um, thanks for picking this out. It's kind of a... Gavin, uh, t- tell me your take on this. So we, I suggested triples, but you, want, you guys wanted to do Abbey Ales. Yeah, not just Abbey Ales. We thought it would be fun to be even more specific and just do Trappist beers. Um, Trappist beers are beers brewed by Trappist monks, Cistercian monks. Um, there's some rules and regulations around what qualifies... So the beer has to be brewed within the walls of the monastery, has to be brewed by, or at least the process has to be overseen by monks. Um, And all the proceeds have to go back into the monastery or into the community or to charitable causes. So there's an international association of Trappist monasteries, I guess, that certifies um, all these beers. So Chimay is one of these certified Trappist monasteries um, for their beer. Hey, Noah, um, how is it that uh, Chimay can be worldwide yet still be made in a monastery like how big is this monastery i mean i've never been on has anybody been justin no i imagine it's a huge monastery (laughs) um but yeah i mean the the regulations have nothing to do it's not like the craft association capping you know barrel annual barrel production they can be as big as they want they just have to follow those three Mm. those three criteria I mean, we should ask, too, you know, like, who knows all the traps, breweries. Used to be there was only a certain number, but it seems like it keeps growing. Yeah, this is a game we play sometimes at the shop just to see if anyone can name them off the top of their heads. For the fa- past few years, nobody's been able to because I think they're 14. Um, we've got the obvious ones, Chimay, Westmall, um, Orval, West Vleteran, um, Rochefort, uh, La Trappe. Uh, oh, uh, man. Uh, um, is it Monte Cats? That's one of the new ones. Yeah. There's Achel, Achel, um, Latrop. There's a whole bunch, but it's interesting. It's the kind of thing that you can Google and, and, and look it up, but um, I was doing research on the show last night, and I always look to uh, Jeff Alworth's blog, Bravana, Bravana blog, and, and it's interesting, just this week he posted an update uh, on all the new Trappist and other monastery breweries um, and there are quite a few. So you go to, go to that, go to Bravana blog, um, you, you can read the update. Because there's one in Hungary, you know, there's one in Austria, there's one in England, there's several in America. Yeah, we have a Trappist uh, brewery now in Massachusetts, Spencer, who started out making Abbey-style ales, but they've expanded to do IPAs, lagers, all sorts of things. And, yeah, Trappist breweries aren't limited to doing specific styles. They really only have to meet those three criteria. <coughs> and the brewing style is... It's really important. The heritage is very cool, but the fact that they're, you know, 
supporting the infrastructure of the monastery and supporting uh, like the good of the community around the monastery, uh, it does make sense to be making things like IPAs and lagers, things that will sell at a, a greater pace than the more traditional styles uh, that we are able to put more back into the community. Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for me, like this was a style that, that started me off, you know, going from wine to beer. I, I like Abbey styles. Um, Justin, you know, you also started in wine. Remember, you, you worked in Boston. You worked in a wine store. Um, tell us about some of the first Abbey or Trappist beers that, that you had and if they influenced you in your love of beer. Yeah, I mean, the first two that I had that, that I have, like, a very clear memory of are Rochefort and Orval, um, both of which still, for me, are, are really special, and I really love them, and we sell them in the shop frequently. Um, and I think they're really good transition beers, um, a lot of flavors that you don't find in, in other beers, um, you know, having slightly more alcohol, you know, interesting spicy character, um, some sweetness, all those things are, it's pretty easy to transition from drinking wine to, to these things. Uh, very flavorful. I mean, to me, it's like these Abbey Ales, like, this is something I can drink. It's not just a beer, but it's, it's something, a, a drink that I can enjoy and savor. And for me, I also like the progression. Sometimes I might start with a, a, a double or a triple and end the night with, with a quad. What's, what's the second beer you guys opened? So we thought it would be fun to not just do Trappist beers, but uh, go for the, um, you know, the four main Trappist beers that we think kind of uh, sum up the styles the best. Um, but also fun modernized or uh, variations of them. So the second beer we're having is the Hitachino XH, which is a sake barrel aged double. I was going to ask about the Japanese Trappist, but you just answered the question. <laughs> well, that's a great one. So what's the process of, of, of you guys picking beers? Because it's kind of like, how many beers are, are at beer table in Grand Central? <laughs> Maybe a, a couple hundred at any given time, a um, little more than a hundred on the shelves on display. Um, the process, you know, obviously we have to feature a number of IPAs. It just gets, you know, overwhelming with the people that want that. But we also want to have, you know, two to three good examples of, you know, what styles are, are going to be exciting to people. Uh, so we've always got a handful of triples, of course, um, which is... I think the most popular Trappist style or Abbey style, um, but we're gonna have what's gonna refresh people, what's going to excite people, um, you know, something bracing for a, after a long hard day at work. You know, we just try to uh, have something that's going to to turn anybody on to beer. That's great, Justin. For you, you know, when when you open beer table, original beer table was one of my favorite like little boutique tasting bars in Brooklyn. Um, now you've got a thriving you know bottle shop and, and a very busy train station. Um, how, how do you see the, se the selection? Um, I know you recently also just up upgraded your cider selections. Yeah, so, I mean, I have no control over buying anymore. These guys do all of it, so they get all the credit for, you know, keeping it interesting, keeping it fresh, keeping it changing all the time. All, all I want is that for it to not be exhaustive. I want it to be a pretty limited selection that just changes a lot. And um, they do a good job with, you know, trying to have things that people are asking for, which can be frustrating because it's a lot <laughs> of the same over and over and over again. But also keeping a good blend of kind of anything else that's out there that we think is delicious. So for me, uh, the focus was and continues to only just be on deliciousness. If it's, you know, if it's interesting from a flavor perspective, then, then we want it. And we don't really care about any of the other politics of it. I mean, we do, but we try not to let that play in too hard to how we choose beer um, or how they choose beer, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, that's it. Are you guys able to get a bunch of stuff that doesn't make it to the rest of America or even New York because of relationships that you, that you, you have? Um, to a very, very small degree. I mean, and usually for a limited time. A good example of that is very recently we did the launch of OEC's Cool Ship Lager cans, a great Czech-style lager. Um, and they were nice enough to give us exclusivity for the launch. Um, but that's widely available now. So, like, little um, blips on the radar like that do happen from time to time. But uh, exclusivity, uh, not something that we're super-duper into. You know, cheers to deliciousness. <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, Cheers. You know, more about this style. Um, I don't know. For you, Evan, you know, when I go out to drink, I, I, I want to come. I want to have a tasting like this. I, I want to have beers I've never had, but keep drinking. Um, I don't know. What do you think about these beers so well, far? Well, they're, they're so good, and I've had plenty of them, but they're so good that it's very easy to just keep on drinking them. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's good to stay mindful of what it is that you're drinking while you're drinking it. So that, you know, doesn't go to waste, hopefully. Because one of these hangovers is terrible. <laughs> and I guess the show is really now about Trappist. Um, so what, why did you decide to focus on Trappist? I didn't know if you guys were going to bring me, like, you know, in, in uh, L.A. there's a, a Abbey-style brewery. Uh, what is it? Um, you know, Monkish? There's, there's a lot of them. Monkish. Uh, there's several, but... I didn't know, so I'm, I'm, part of this whole show was, was anticipation and uh, looking forward. To it. So, so why did you focus on Trappist uh, or Trappist style? I think we just wanted to narrow the field a little bit. Um, you know, the Trappist beers are interesting because I think more of the general public is kind of familiar with the concept, but there's a lot of like mystery and you know, it's not totally clear what what makes a Trappist beer. Is it the style? Is it just who's making it? Um, so I thought there's a lot to talk about there, and. Trappist beers have inspired so many of our kind of favorite modern beers, um, like the XH um, and some other ones that we're going to open soon. Oh, that's pretty great. Gavin, what about for you? I mean, um, do people come in asking for Belgian beers, or is it something that you offer? Either one you can answer that. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Belgium is obviously kind of like the you know, zero point for a beer in the world, um, unless you're talking about lagers. Um, they just you know have the most innovative uh, traditions. Um, so a lot of the kind of hurdles we see are people asking for a Belgian beer as though Belgian is a style and not a quite varied, uh, region, uh, with tons of different styles. Uh, and typically when they ask for something Belgian, they are asking for, uh, either a double, a triple or a, a quadruple something, uh, something familiar, but something still exciting. But those people, it seems like those people would be open to hearing about and being more experimental uh, about stuff. Like, oh, they come in for a double, and you're like, here, check out this quadruple uh, Trappist thing. Does that happen a lot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it also lets us introduce other beers that we love. People are familiar with the Trappist stuff. Oh, you mean like the Abbey-style stuff brewed by monks? Oh. If you like that, I think you're going to love this beer from Dole, one of our favorite Belgian breweries. Um, so definitely people being familiar with that helps us introduce them to more fun stuff. Cool. Great. And, you know, going way back, um, you know, apparently, I don't know, say 30, 40 years ago, many of the Belgian styles were, were close to going into extinction. I mean, I know that uh, Van Bergen de Wolf, when they started up, um, they, they went to like Saison de Pont, and, and if they hadn't started importing it to the States, that style would, would have disappeared. Um, anybody want to talk about some of the history and the revival? It's really the revival of Belgian beer. 
I just want to say it's been a while since I've had this. This is delicious. <laughs> Which one is this? The we West just, Mall. We just opened the West Mall Triple, um, another phenomenal and classic beer. And West Mall invented the triple style, um, which I think is really cool. Um, not not too long ago, even after World War One, kind of in response to uh, in response to the rise of Pilsner, they're like, we need to make an Abbey style ale that is pale and golden and will appeal to all these people. So with, without exports beer. to America 34 years ago, all of Belgium just could have been drinking Stella. <laughs> yeah, that would have been terrible. This um, does taste a lot like a lot lighter. It's nice. Yeah, even though it's, I mean, what is it, 11%, 9%? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, somewhere uh, in there. Sneaky. Yeah, how, how is it that um, <laughs> the, the, even though the double's lower in alcohol, it, it tastes heavier, and the triple higher in alcohol tastes lighter? I mean, the kind of richer, darker malts. Um, also, the use of, I mean, depending on how much sugar is fermented out of the beer, the double has a little bit more left in it. And the use of candy sugar, which is one of the big hallmarks of the Abbey style, using candy sugar to kind of boost the alcohol without adding too much to the body or the mouthfeel. Um, what is one, candy? Oh, I'm sorry. No, what, go ahead. What does yeah. candy sugar mean? Um, it's just super like refined, usually corn sugar um, that beet ferments sugar out. Too. Oh, is it like beet sugar? And beet sugar is the other oh, one. Okay. Yeah, that can okay. ferments out completely. Okay. So Evan, if you remember, like going on a field trip when you were a kid, and they had like the dowel rods of like rock candy. Yeah. Imagine that on like an industrial scale. Cool. But what does it do? In liquid form. It, it, it boosts the alcohol without boosting the Adding to the like body. the body or the weight of the beer because it just completely ferments out. The yeast just tears through it and it just like you know, converts it right to alcohol and flavor. So like um, Chimay does it, but I know there, there's some like Duranke makes a Guldenberg triple mm-hmm. that they say doesn't use candied sugar. And it's is it possible to manipulate malt without adding candied sugar to get a triple? Yeah, yeah, it's not required for the style, but especially with something like this that does drink so light, um, even though it's pretty alcoholic, um, that's generally usually the secret. Fifteen years ago, I was a diehard Chimay triple drinker. Jimmy's 43, we, we always had a, it on draft. And I usually, when I had a, a good night, I'd wake up with a he- headache the next day. <laughs> and I learned that that might have been from the candied sugar. Um, is that the case? Because then Dan Shelton came in and said, well, you, you should have the Duranke Guldenberg because it's natural. It doesn't have candied sugar. So I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I think you're blaming the candy sugar for overindulgence. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan Shelton is uh, trying to manipulate me. Is that what it is? Yeah, move you away from, uh, from one importer to his. <laughs> well, that's a big part of the game. I mean, how do you guys keep up with it? I mean, each one of these different Travis beers, again, l- just look them up because we know there's West Mall, Rochefort. There's so many. And only a few times in my life, Justin, have I actually done a tasting of, of all the, the major uh, t- Trappist breweries. But, you know, how do you keep up with, with which importer has it? And, you know, is, is it more that you, the demand is so high that, that people are just happy to get them or, or – or what? I mean, it's just like a strange game. It's like these specialty Belgian imports. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. They're not. It's not like the beers are going through different importers all the time either. I think for for me, I'm not answering your question at all. Uh, a, con- a concern is just historically that these things can fade away because we get so interested in what's new and what's in a new package and what has a new label. And we're kind of doing a comparison of those things today. And like what we're pouring right now is really fun and really attractive. And it, it's really easy in one generation or one even micro generation of beer drinkers who are new to it that for them to for us to just totally lose track of what is Orval or what is Westmall or what is we could just totally forget these things and then the importers won't need to they won't be able to bring them in anymore so we need to we need to keep the, keep the historically significant stuff on our shelves 
I think it's important to mention that the beer we're breaking out now, which is what is this? It's this Steph, is it's the Steph. mischief from the brewery, um, which is more recently available in sixteen ounce cans. The brewery in California, yeah, Southern yeah, California. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Which is a lightly dry hopped Belgian pale, Belgian triple, certainly inspired um, beer. But we thought it'd be a good counterpart to the West because This is definitely an American beer. Um, this wouldn't exist anywhere else. So what's different between the the brewery mischief triple and the Westmont triple? I'd say primarily the hops. Um, I mean, a lot of the flavor on the the mischief is definitely coming off of the hops they're using. Um, you're still getting some citrus notes, which we also got on the Westmont. Um, a little bit less of like the honey, but this is a hoppy beer. It's it's got a lot going on. It's really good. It's definitely a busier beer than the uh, the Westmont. Um, when people ask about it at the shop, I tend to try to explain it as uh, as though your favorite triple had a baby with Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but how, how, do, how do you describe some of the difference between a double and a triple? Now, it's not really tripled anything. It's not really that it goes from... It's just, a, it's just gradations, right? Because yeah, it could be names, numbers. Like the eight, names are 10, a little 12. misleading. and Yeah, and all of the breweries use different um, kind of nomenclature to designate which of their beers is in which category. But um, usually it, it has more to do with the, the color. If you're looking for like a darker Abbey-style ale, a darker Trappist or a paler one. Um, and then if they want, you know, both alcohol and if you're looking for more of the kind of dried fruit and malt-driven caramel toffee notes of like a double, um, or if you want something that's a bit stronger, like a quadruple, that's going to be maybe less malt-driven, but a lot of like those deep, dark fruits. Um, yeah. So from a novice... Uh, Double and triple and quadruple are not units of measurement. They're just... No, it's super misleading. Okay. (laughs) Um, The story that I always heard, uh, and it could be apocryphal, um, but um, I believe it comes from Westma, where they would mark what was fermenting in what areas of the brewery with a number of X's on the fermenters, and that's where you got your uh, double, triple, and quadruple. Like a a length of time? No, no, just a designation for the kinds of beer they oh, made. Oh, okay. I'd also heard that, I don't know, years ago I heard the story of, of how triples came about and the stronger Belgian ales. And if anyone, please join in if you can. It was that as pro, the fear of prohibition was coming and that countries like Belgium, the prohibition may have limited gin or, or spirits, but they weren't going to limit beer. So the story is that uh, breweries started making stronger high-alcohol beers. Yeah, so I think what it was that after the First World War, Belgian breweries were really suffering, and the government wanted to kind of prop them up a little bit and support them. Um, and so they banned the sale of gin and Jennifer and spirits in taverns and bars and whatever. And kind of to meet the demand then for stronger beer because the people needed their, their booze, uh, the breweries started producing these much richer styles. Um, and that's kind of what coalesced into what we now know to be the Trappist styles, the Abbey styles of beer, which weren't nearly as like neatly categorized a hundred years ago as they are today. So it's actually a, a modern style. Maybe yeah, before it was like this, these singles and, and pale ales. I mean, they're definitely built from the historical Belgian tradition. You know, there are always rich, dark, strong Belgian beers being produced, but the kind of double, triple, and then quad Belgian dark strong. Um, is a much more modern convention. Wow, so let's toast. So the 20th century innovation were these uh, stronger Belgian Trappist ales. That's uh, pretty interesting. Justin, did you, did you know that? 
<laughs> I'm busy. You don't have to answer my question. I'm busy, Jimmy. I'm smelling. You, you're my guy, Justin, because I'm gonna. Every time I ask you a question, you go in a different direction, I'm but that's elsewhere. okay. I'm, I'm just trying to get I'm, Justin I'm in my smell space. Justin's Eventually, you'll get smelling. to the truth. Because we just opened up to Dolish still in a, their uh, special Christmas triple, which is a delightful and special beer. One of the most aromatic things ever. Such a great beer. I know going back to when you worked for B United, so this is a brewery that you have a lot of memories <laughs> with. <Justin>. Yeah. <clears throat> I've only been there once, but had a great time there. And um, yeah, uh, you know, lots of memories with selling it and with sharing a beer like this for the first time with people who told me they don't like beer. I mean, that's that was kind of like our, our main thing when we started was just really like trying to treat our places like places where, you know, people come in asking for something that, that, you know, they want a Heineken or a whatever, or they want, you know, red wine or something. And this is the kind of beer that you can totally transform somebody's idea of what beer is with. And since now we're talking more about Belgium, if I go to Belgium, you know, there's Brussels, there's Bruges. Where, where is uh, Dola? Are uh, they all like in a certain area? Yeah, so they're, they're nor- well, it's a very small country. Um, so they're, they're close to Bruges. Um, but yeah, it feels like it's out in the country and it's great. Gavin, I'm sure everyone's speechless now. <laughs> well, for me, like, I think when I opened Jimmy's number 43, I'm going to mention it because we opened with a beer only license, I don't know, in 2005. And looking, you know, today I feel like you go into places and everybody wants a cocktail and the cocktail's sweeter and stronger. But for me, having only beer, I would go to. These type of stronger belt, like Belgian triples for sure, and then going up to quads, and I felt like I was having a drink. So to me, it's almost like this is the the cocktail, uh, you know, competition where I could I could go out and just drink Belgian triples and quads and not, and not need a cocktail. Yeah, this beer is thirteen percent, and it's <laughs> like an absolute absolute delight to drink. I'm just telling you, kids out there, listen, <laughs> beer has a future, and. Uh, it's not just IPAs, but <laughs> and, and to your point about you know people leaning toward cocktails, like this could easily take the place of like an old fashioned on the menu, on the menu. Like it's it's got some booze shining through. It's got uh, herbal complexity. It's got uh, some sweetness on the backbone. It's it's serious. It's a you know a formidable cocktail. This one is delicious. What is this called again? It's Dodola Steelnacht. Okay. I think this is uh, 2018, so the uh, 2019. I think is... that before beer table came, no one ever drank this beer. No, come on. <laughs> I mean, this is. Let's this... stop talking about it. I'm still trying to hoard all of it. So. <laughs> yeah, this brewery and this beer. Just keep something... smelling it, Justin. Yeah. People this... get hooked on. Forget and, it. And they'll come in and talk they about something else. Only want this beer. Is this one or you? This is this one you hoard? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah well, Justin, for you, so, so much. Your first, you know, your first action was to smell it in, rever- in reverence. What do you smell? Oh, all kinds of things, but uh, tell us. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going back. Tell to us what you smell. He just wants to smell. It's just a super stuff. caramelized, super fruity. Like it's a, it's very much like a dried fruit spice. Lots of burned sugar. I think it's my favorite. It's winter that we've had tonight. And it's it's very specific too. It's very. I mean, you smell the dull beers, and you know it's the dull. What about it, for you guys? For 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 the the smell test. What, what do you smell? You guys are. My beer table experts. Quiet now. See, it's good. Like, there's reverence. So that's one thing I would say. Maybe it's the Trappist part of it, but to me, using that word reverence, sometimes you're drinking and you can be quiet too, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, lots of, like, dried tropical fruit, so much honey. 
like a little bit of like um, like soft Australian licorice. Um, definitely like golden raisin. It's so nice. Am I losing my mind? I'm smelling a little bit of bubble gum and banana. Yes. Or is you that are just losing your mind? <laughs> okay. Also, right. also, yes, it's there. <laughs> okay. That's not a symptom of it, but yes, you're that's, losing your mind. That's the candy sugar, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. You're saying after three or four of these, you start oh, losing yeah, your mind. Oh, yeah, my mind's gone. <laughs> yeah, did Dole. Wow. Let's keep going. This is so much fun. I mean, this is, again, once again, you guys, this is more than I ever expected, and I'm not even surprised. So great, great work, beer table. Um, I still, I still amazing that you guys. I mean, I can talk a little about business. That in Grand Central forever, it's like you'd stand by the train tracks, and it was like some guys selling cans of Bud or some other cheap beer, and and you guys opened up, and it's like you're selling some of the best beer in New York City, where people really need it. It's like they're getting on a train. You know, they what do they get? Typically, two two bottles. They can go drink one on the train and the other one when they get home. And it, and and a lot of places they're going. It's you one take on the way to the train. Yeah, yeah one on the <laughs> way. <laughs> Not making it home. But you well, know, when, when you get to Connecticut and Westchester, wherever these trains are going, there's not there's not that many places to to to, to get beer like. This. Well, Jimmy, something to consider, uh, and this is doesn't have anything to do with the what we're tasting, is that those uh, cheap beers on the platform were not all that cheap. So, uh, I think. Beer table is able to sneak in there and kind of uh, slightly undercut with better stuff um, while they were selling these tall boys for six dollars, and then here's a you know a Dale's pale ale for five. People are going to go for the pale ale. Yeah, we've gotten people who are drinking lots of Budweiser, got them onto good craft lagers, and then maybe moved them onto some Belgian stuff. You know, we've we've expanded some horizons. You want to say anything about it, Justin? About Grand Central, the whole change. <laughs> well, because my my first thought is that this is a years ago we had a show about uh, not having good beer at Yankee Stadium. It's almost like you guys are showing the the, the larger you know forces that you could do good beer in in a large setting. Because like Yankee Stadium still doesn't really have a lot of good beers, and there's always this talk about costs or they're they're sponsoring. But I think more people would be happy with what you guys are doing in Yankee Stadium. I mean, I think a lot. Of- a lot of it comes down to the, the fact that, you know, beer is for everybody. Um, and while our shop might be a little more expensive than the average shop due to our location, it's still a higher class of beer per dollar than what you're going to get for, you know, a glass of wine for the same amount um, or a cocktail for the same price. Um, you know, we are, uh, we do pr- pride ourselves on bringing in, you know, some of the best things available. Uh, and, and changing it as those things become available to us. Uh, it's constantly in flux. How, how much of the Dodola still a knock do you get in? Do you get a case? Do you get more than a case? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Whatever Be United will let us have. <laughs> yeah, and then I scream and yell and say, give us ten times more of that. I, I remember getting one case, and it, it would kind of I would kind of hoard it and uh, enjoy it. But, guys, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in one minute. Be back with the Beer Table Experts on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Listen to Heritage Radio Network because, let's face it, you have really good taste. You care about where your food comes from, who made it, and its impact on the planet. Whether you're looking for an inspiring interview with your favorite celebrity chef, the latest on Dave Arnold's Spinzall, 
Or if you want to get down and dirty with some agricultural policy, we've got you covered. 10 years in and 13,000 episodes later, HRN continues to be the go-to media outlet for thoughtful eaters like you. And we never could have done it without the support of our listeners. Help Food Radio continue in the future and help us raise enough funds for the year to come. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate today. And since you've got such good taste, we have some very cool member gifts for you to choose from. Thanks for listening and for being a part of the HRN community. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. While we're closing out 2019, happy holidays, guys. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy and holidays. You. It's our last show of the year, and I'll tell you what, check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. End of year membership drive. You, you can uh, join up, support the network. Over 30 shows, 10 years, uh, nonprofit, and uh, so much going on on this network. So thank you, Heritage Radio Network, for 10 years of Beer Sessions Radio. So let's toast to that. So we're here with the... Beer Sessions expert, they, they took my challenge was, you know, I said that rather than Budweiser, the king of beer is, is Belgian triples. And um, they kind of went above and beyond like they always do. So let's go, let's dive into the next beer. We're tasting uh, particularly Trappist or Trappist style ales. Uh, get Noah? Yeah, this is... Um, got Noah, Gavin, Justin, and Evan. One of the original Trappist ales, but also one of the most unique ones. It kind of stands on its own. We're drinking Orval from... Orval. Um, you know, this is a beer a lot of brewers list as their, either their gateway kind of beer that kind of changed their lives and minds, or just their favorite <laughs> beer. It's totally unique. Um, you know, it's a pale or hoppy Belgian Trappist ale that's fermented with wild yeast. It's great. I mean, uh, we play the Desert Island beer uh, game a lot. Um, people often hem and haw and look at the shelves and think about Oh, well, it's got to be this. It's got to be that. Every single time. Orval. Like, it's always my answer. It's, you know, I can consider this beer the way Justin looks at Steel Knocked. And this is true. I, I have a lot of reverence for Orval as well um, for a very different reason. Steel Knocked, in the best way, is goofy and fun and over the top <laughs> and just powerful. Whereas Orval is elegant and minimalist and, like, something that you can... It's a Desert Island beer. It's something you could drink every day and... Comfortably and happily, you can't drink Stellanoct every day. Comfortably, <laughs> well, let's toast it. So one thing about Orval, it, it in my education as a beer drinker, it was always a mystery because some people say it's a triple, then other people now in our modern times are saying that it's an inspiration for, for the. It's a dry hopped pale ale. I mean, it, it is dry hopped. It's and it's as I was saying, it's totally unique. Um, I think it's wrong to try and mash it in with the other pale Trappist styles and call it a triple. It's its own thing. Um, I think it should be allowed to stand alone. Evan, it's Trappist. Just yeah, okay, thanks. It's one of the classics. <laughs> and you, I bet you don't even know the name. What's the name of the, the monastery that makes it? Notre Dame d'Orval. Oh, you knew that. <laughs> yeah, Gavin's a fanboy. Cheers to that. What does d'Orval mean? Uh, Valley of Gold. Okay. D'Orval. D'Orval, Okay. I mean, the, the history on this, too, when was Orval first made? Was that also a, a 20th century creation, or did it go back before that? I've got my cheat sheet. I love that Gavin brought notes. It's older than that. 1931 Is was, that? was when they be- began, like, commercial beer production. But the I monastery think, itself is much, much older. Yeah, the monastery, and, and that's the case for a lot of these Trappist Dales. 
the monasteries have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, but and and with breweries at some points, but a lot of them only started producing beer kind of in a more commercial sense much later, beer that wasn't just for the consumption of the monks. Justin, it's the only one that I visited and um, was a totally dramatic and special visit where I wasn't it wasn't even planned and I was taken there by another brewer from somewhere else who got us in and like we went through their lab which was like kind of space agey and crazy and there were women working there in the monastery which was very interesting to me um but then to go into the old part of the brewery and the and the monastery part of which is in ruins it's just a beautiful place it was it was so cool to visit and so different than anything else but um one of the things that i love about it and and that i always kind of thought of as we conceived of our business beer table was the first thing in my business plan was i just wanted to have one beer per night i was going to serve one beer on draft nothing else <laughs> at one table because I'm just... Oh, some pick- we should go some back to that. Duck I really like that idea. <laughs> some anyway, pickled duck eggs for food. Yeah. Anyway, Orval, they're, they're hardcore like that. It's one beer. That's it. Nothing else. Commercially available. They do make one other beer, but we won't talk about that. And then um, let's talk about... Let's, this beer, when I taste it, it's funny because it tastes like beer. Yeah. You know, the other ones, there's like some, some candied sugar, caramel flavors. But this has like... It's the closest to a beer that I think of. Who wants to just describe what that taste is? I mean, I think uh, a lot of that is the the hoppiness um, that you know is more familiar to an American palate, um, and it balances against the you know the malt backbone. Um, uh, this beer is also fascinating in that it's bottle conditioned with uh, Brettanomyces, which is a you know typically considered a wild yeast strain. Uh, so the longer it bottle ferments, the funkier and stranger uh, and drier and less hoppy it gets. So. It's, it definitely mutates in the bottle, which is fascinating. Yeah, this is a relatively fresh bottle. It was bottled in April of 2019. But we've had, you know, three, four-year-old bottles, even older. And it, it definitely gets that earthiness. It gets way drier. It gets a little weird, which is a lot of fun. Um, that's why, you know, you don't necessarily see verticals of all of these beers available on menus. But Orval is one people love to taste at different ages. I think, I think a few years ago, the, the importers, uh, Merchant Event, was that, that from Orval? Yeah. Yep. They, had, they were saying that the Orval was the first Brett IPA, back when the Brett IPA was the term. I would say that's probably style. Uh, a claim that you could argue for, for sure. I wouldn't call it an IPA, but you know, in terms of inspiration behind Brett IPAs, you, know, you, you can't start the conversation with anything except for Orval. Are people still making and selling Brett IPAs? <laughs> well, we just cracked one open a couple years older. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a Brett IPA, but it's a, a hoppy beer that was fermented with Britannomyces. So, well, What is it? Uh, this is the other half edition of the uh, Beer Table Table Beer, part of the, the series that Justin put together way back when. So just, this, oh. why, why don't you, Justin, t- tell us about the Beer Table Table Beer series what the style was supposed to be and then lead up so, to this one. <clears throat> it's it's a play on the name beer table and table beer uh, of which you know there is history but there really wasn't like when we first started it was 2012 there wasn't anything um, commercially available um, in that category of the super low alcohol um, Belgian beer um, thing. Uh, <clears throat> so to play with the name but also just for an interesting little side project for us I was commissioning uh, just the idea it wasn't actually my business but um, from brewers that I respected um, I was commissioning or I was uh, yeah I was asking brewers to brew the beer if they could drink one beer for, the re- for every day for the rest of their life and and that was the idea like make that beer we'll call it this and it'll be a rotating series we did it I don't know six or seven or eight times 
Um, this is the, the, I think, the last one that we did, mm -hmm. with, and it was with Other Half um, when they were new. And, um, was this the one from Charleston? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, so what, how old is this beer? It's a few years now. It's like four or five years old? Somewhere no, not quite three. that old. Like two and a half, three? Yeah. I'm sure it says on it, but I don't know. So the idea of table beers, I mean, so what, what we're getting from Trappist and, and Abbey, you know, breweries, they're really more export ales, like, you know, the, the doubles, singles, and triples. But if you were a, a monk in the, let's go back. So how many hundreds of years traditions are, are some of these monastery breweries? They always made beer f for their monks. I mean, what, what type of beer were they actually making, you know, 200 years ago? Was it, was it table beers? I mean, I think, yeah, like the, kind of the equivalent. They were making what now people call Abbey Singles, um, a style that's not exported that much, but sometimes is available, and American breweries make versions of it, which is a much lighter, lower alcohol, paler, drier beer. Um, St. Bernardus does a version, the St. Bernardus Extra 4. Um, a lot of these Trappist breweries have them, but only available at the monastery or not even available to the public. And these beers are just, this is part of the Belgian economy. Uh, this is what kept the monasteries going. Is that how the whole system worked? I mean, I, a lot of it is to maintain the monasteries so uh, they can be self-reliant. Uh, all Trappist monasteries have to have a craft. Some make bread, some make, you know, uh, woven baskets. Some Cheese. are beekeepers make, uh, making honey. They all have a product that they sell. They're all oh. uh, kind of micro industries, uh, so they can uh, pay to main maintain the uh, monastery. And any profit in addition to that uh, goes back into community programs surrounding the monastery. And, and on that on that note, if you look, go to the Bravana blog again this week, Jeff Alworth. It's it's not so much that there's new, you know, Trappist monasteries opening. It's that. There's Trappist monasteries that were making other products like honey or cheese that have now in the last few years started making uh, beer for you know commercial use to fund them. I so it, it's, uh, it was, seems like it, it, it works for them. But <laughs> I was curious about the per capita of monks, you know, in Belgium. I mean, I think <laughs> it, it depends on the, the monastery and the brewery. Um, obviously, like. Chimay is huge. Evan's looking for a controversy. But, um, <laughs> I'm sure there's like, non-monks working in the breweries. Well, I'm Some just imagining an entire country <laughs> crawling with monks. With drunk monks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rochefort, the last thing I read about it, said I think there are 14 monks there currently, which is incredible when you consider, I mean, even our store goes through a large amount of the Rochefort 10. Um, you know, this is making me just think of imagery of beer, like... Um, you know, back in the 80s, a place that was dear to my heart, Burke Castle opened, and, and all the murals in there were, were of drunk monks. Yeah. And I look back on from, you know, even 100 years ago, there are images on, on um, beer labels of just random beers. But they had, again, images of monks, you know, with the shaven head top drinking beer. So I guess there is a, there is a tradition of, of people identifying good beer with monks, and I feel like that... Maybe that's what we're talking about is getting people to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's part of the... Because it's not just like guys with beards and... <laughs> and he was pointing at is Justin. Is it called flannel Justin. shirt? Yeah. Checkered exactly. shirts. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's part of the romance of the Belgian and certainly the, the Trappist beers is that it's brewed by monks in an abbey. You know, it's required to be. Um, and, and it's a great selling point and people love it. Um, on, it its, on its own, is it, a, is it a quality... Distinction, or is it just a marketing distinction? 
It can be both. I think um, a lot of the uh, monasteries do pride themselves on their, um, you know, the original recipes and maintaining those. Um, I think, you know, we were talking earlier about the scale of Chimay for the best example. Um, whether in, it's an enormous brewery. Um, and the way they get around that is that's the, you know, brewed under the supervision of monks. So a number of the brothers are overseeing a staff of hired brewers um, at like a you know, production scale brewery. And we're going to knock out all these beers, so we got more coming. What's yeah, next, I think, uh, well, I'm trying, Jimmy. We just popped <laughs> open the Rochefort 10, um, one of the, the best Belgian dark strong quads, in our opinion. Is uh, this from a small brewery? This is the one I was saying. There are 15 monks oh, okay. at this brewery, or at this monastery. They have a brewing staff, and the brewing is overseen by monks. But in terms of, yeah, very, very few monks. You know, what, what I love about this is, for many years, I hosted the Battle of the Belgians. We had once a year a, a, a wide range of different Belgian or Belgian-style beers, and sometimes there was a Trappist edition, and we'd have like a, a popular vote on their favorite beer. And there's so many good ones. It, it's 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 like, and their styles are so different. You couldn't really pin like one year it might have been a sour beer, one year it might have been a Rochefort. Um, I, you want to comment on the this variety of these types of beers? Um. I mean, apart from the fact that I love it, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's uh, it's great. I think it's it's good. You know, the the Trappist uh, kind of designation is helpful in terms of orienting people and helping to f- you know figure out what they want to drink. But sometimes it can be limiting because yeah, there is an amazingly wide and delicious selection of Belgian beers out there, and you want to get people to go from the Trappist stuff and try some of the farmhouse ales, the saisons, maybe try the Flemish stuff, the Flemish reds and the oud bruns and and get into the lambics and the gouzes, which are also delicious. It's a gateway beer. Absolutely. Um, I guess to tie two uh, earlier talking points together, you know, Jimmy, you were asking, you know, hundreds of years ago when these uh, monasteries first started brewing, you know, likely for sustenance and then uh, as a sellable product, you know, it was pre-Louis Pasteur, so they weren't able to isolate yeast strains and, you know, hone anything in so these beers would have been sour uh and a lot of american breweries and you know there's a the lambic tradition in belgium are coming back to that a lot more uh and a beer that we've got in the shop now that i'm really you know smitten by is from jolly pumpkin in michigan uh it's the uh, calabaza de noel which is a wild fermented belgian quad so it's you know a strong dark belgian ale but it's got the funky and bright and acidic sour uh, notes of Alembic as well. It's a almost a hybrid style. Did you bring one of those? Not today. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Evan. Missed opportunity. But that reminds me of something I, I read about while preparing for today's show, which is that um, Rochefort, when they got going with their more commercial brewery, they were having a lot of trouble just kind of in the market because their beer was um, kind of not, there was no quality control. Um, it was not reliable. And was this 10 or 20 years ago? No, this is like 60 years ago, 70 years ago. And some of the monks from Chimay or the brewers from Chimay went and helped them kind of get their brewing program. When we were kids. Exactly. In line. Starting out. Um, And, you know, among other things, taught them about, you know, cleanliness and hygiene in the brewery and and helped them, you know, just kind of put some standards in place. And and I think the Rochefort 10 is one of the best quads available, Um, but maybe not always the case. So, yeah, also to go back to an earlier point and to, <clears throat> excuse me, re-comment on what Noah just said. 
putting a standard in place is really important with these. These are some of the few styles in beer that we can go to and say, we know there is consistency now. And we're just inundated with new stuff all the time in every brewery. Like, they are surviving by making new beer, new beer, new beer, new beer, new beer. And this is something we can always go back to and be like, oh, yeah, I remember Rich for 10. That's a beautiful beer. Or Vault, remember that? We know exactly what to expect with that. It also gives us some control educationally for ourselves by maturing things and, like, taking time with them. And let's drink it fresh. Let's drink it old. You know, there's, like, a lot of control as somebody who wants to learn about beer by drinking these beers specifically. I have a bad... Belgian beer store. <laughs> Years ago, I had a chef who was really talented, but he 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 had been in like the Marines or the Army, and right before service started, he had to go and and shotgun. You know, like in the military, they learn how to shot literally tilt their head back and they can suck a beer down in like less than ten seconds. So I'm, he I'm he, familiar with the he shotgun three <laughs> beers before each service. But yeah. one day he started, he didn't realize it because we had a, uh, we didn't have like Corona in the, the walk-in, which he had access to, but we had a whole bunch of Belgians. He started oh, shotgunning no. like Belgian triples and we started finding him passed out on the alley on his smoking break. <laughs> so, um, you know, you don't, you don't shotgun yeah, a Belgian don't, triple. Don't shotgun the But I would say guys. it's definitely a competition for cocktails. Like if I'm going out for a night and I can drink Belgian triples, and then when I have palate fatigue, I'll move up to a good quad. But um, you guys, we're going to wrap this up in a minute. Let, let's uh, get one or two more beers in, uh, Noah, and uh, last comments from everybody. Yeah, I mean, we just moved on to the St. Bernardist uh, Abbott 12, um, which, if memory serves, is uh, the uh, original historical recipe for uh, West Lutteran 12, uh, which is famously the um, Trappist Monastery in uh, Belgium that you have to go to the monastery to get their beer. Um, Hopa. And that pop you just heard was Noah opening uh, the A4 from Transmitter here in New York. Great. And then, Justin, you know, there, there, this whole thing about West Levitarian, there was always this this idea of, like, the, the mythical beer you couldn't get. It used to be Hetty Topper. It used to be Russian River. But now it's like, I don't I don't feel that way. I feel that there's there's enough of these good beers... I, I've never had West Latarian, and I wouldn't go chase it, but I'm happy with all these other ones. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And the, and the hype of that stuff has its fun, but, um, you know, I, I visited there, the cafe there. I, you can't go into the monastery and drink the beer there, and it was wonderful, but I'll drink Rochefort any day. So the hype is just not, it's not that St. Bernard Squad, that was my, in the good old days, that was after I had all my Belgian triples. This was the, the, the palate refresher yep. <laughs> to close out the night. Let's, let's do one more. Let's do the A4. And um, Justin, um, you've always been an inspiration to me. Like what you first did with Beer Table, you know, serving quality beers in a, in a, like a, a good service setting, um, what you guys are doing now at, at Grand Central. Um, thank you, man. But, but Belgian beers have always been a big part of, of what you've done, right? Yeah. Because they're delicious. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Evan, for you, you're sitting here um, enjoying it. Is there a beer from tonight that you would say I got to go and uh, get more of these? You know, uh, it. I think it really is the uh, the the Christmas one. Um, still in I yeah. Uh, I you, you can taste how special that the is. Dola still in yeah. yeah. And um, uh, that is delicious. Um, well, you know, unfortunately, after about. Four of these, <laughs> your your palate kind of gets a little bit blown out. I'm not sure uh, 
if, if there's a, a palate cleanser or if there's a, a way that, that one could properly enjoy these, but they are all incredible. Well, cheers. This is the way to do it. You just keep drinking them. But so the last one we had St. Bernard's 12, and now and this is... We just is... opened, yeah, the A4 from Transmitter, Gavin mentioned, which I think these guys deserve a lot of credit for. I mean, all the great beer they produce, especially the Belgian-inspired stuff. But they make uh, a double and the quad, A2 and A4, which I think are some of their best beers. They're making the candy sugar at the brewery themselves, which is almost unheard That's of. That's cool. And, uh, and, yeah, they're just really special beers. Um, some of the best American takes on those styles. And that, do you had. sell the A4 at beer table? We do. And what other trans... I'm, I'm shouting it's out a, to trans... I think it's a real standout. Transmitter, Anthony like, Accardi. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, they're great guys, you know, and they're, they're awesome. They just moved to Brooklyn Navy Yards and have a wonderful new, bigger space there. But, uh, but yeah, we sell the A4. We almost always have the A2 double on the shelf, too. We get their cans as well. So we're going to stay for dinner at Roberta's Pizza. We're going to drink the transmitter A4. You guys, let's go around the room. Everyone quickly uh, give a shout-out. Um, we're going to close it out. Hey, I'm Evan Rose, friend of Beer Tables. <laughs> I'm Justin Phillips. Thank you, Jimmy, for having us. Thank you. Noah, thanks a lot, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. It's Gavin. You guys have been great. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. This is our end-of-year holiday special. Once again, I'm so happy to have the beer table experts here with me. If you have any questions for us on Beer Sessions Radio, email us at askbeersessionsradio at gmail.com. In the new year, we have a couple shows planned about a Bronx Brewery collaboration and beer bars. And so send in your questions for the experts. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Dylan Hoyer our intern, Kevin Chang-Barnum, and our engineer extraordinaire, Matt Patterson. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Woo-hoo! Happy holidays. Cheers. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.